This episode of Dirty Linen is proudly supported by Square, built for every business. For more information, go to squareup.com. I really enjoy seeing the guests' reaction to that, seeing that, uh, you know, actually this isn't available all year round and and it creates that sort of, um, it it makes it special again. You know, I think we're so used to having everything all the time. Um, All of a sudden when you're told you can't have it, you almost want a little bit more. Today on Dirty Linen, we are talking to bar owner, cocktail magician, Luke Weirty. He owns Birdie Bar in Melbourne, a very cool place for food and drinks. Uh, Luke, it's really exciting to have the opportunity to chat to you today on Dirty Linen. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you. I know that you are fresh back from London, and so I'd love to start there. Tell us, tell us what took you over there, what it was like. Um, yeah, what did what did you see? Yeah, so uh, yeah, it was probably the. F- I think it was the first time I've travelled in like two and a half years um, for obvious reasons. So yeah, it was good to get outside of Australia and um, see see what other people are doing and and whatnot. But um, yeah, so. The reason why I went over was uh, to – I've got like a, a sort of a, a – I guess you could call it a side gig um, with a couple of mates in the industry, um, Matt Wiley, who's who's based in Sydney, um, who, who I think you know, and uh, Alex Cretenia in uh, London. So every now and then we get together and we um, do these pop-ups or parties called uh, Like-Minded Creatures. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, always a good excuse to get together and um, this particular one was I think the seventh one we've done and um, yeah so basically for for one night we took over a bar in in London uh, an awesome bar called Silverleaf um, which is pretty new Um, and yeah we had a party Um, it was all um, in collaboration with Stowning Whiskey which is like a Danish distillery Um, and so we went over and visited the distillery as well and so that was cool um, but yeah, it was amazing to see, uh, London and yeah, I was actually quite surprised. It was pretty shocking actually to see, um, London just sort of firing on all cylinders. Um, coming back to Melbourne, it sort of feels like we're probably a good six months behind them. Um, I, I kind of thought Melbourne felt like it was back in business and yeah, it was sort of firing on all cylinders. But, um, after being in London and, and coming back, uh, <laughs> We, it feels like a bit of a ghost town here, um, so I guess it's that's encouraging, though, in a way, to know that we've we've still got a, a ways to go. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was cool to see uh, London uh, pumping. That's so interesting. I mean, I suppose you know they're coming into summer, we're coming into winter, so there's that. But they definitely, I guess, eased restrictions sooner than we did. Um, so perhaps there is. Yeah, perhaps as you say, there's a kind of timeline, and and they're just further along it than than we are over here. Yeah, it just it felt like in in just in conversation with people, it feels like uh, you know, like I think uh, COVID is still dominating a lot of conversations here, um, and a lot of the the mentality uh, here day to day. Whereas it felt like the conversations I was having over there was it was almost like COVID's this sort of distant memory. Um, so yeah, it's, I guess it's encouraging to know that, um, I mean, you know, even through the pandemic, it was always, uh, I mean, I know myself, I was always watching, uh, 
places like London to see what they were doing. And it, and it seemed like we sort of followed suit, um, but like a couple of months or sometimes a couple of weeks after. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that they're they're ahead of us in, in terms of getting back on their feet. Um, but, yeah, it was just interesting to see that firsthand. Yeah, really interesting. I mean, it just sounds like such a great lark to be able to travel around um, making drinks and having parties and like <laughs> going to distilleries. I'm sure that it's that there's a lot of, you know, it's obviously it's what you do. It's just really hard work and it's going to have all the kind of, um, you know, downfalls of, of hard work. Uh, but, I mean, tell us about what you do, like how do you sort of, you know, fit all the different parts of it together? Yeah, it's probably a good way to sum up my career really. Um but yeah, it's uh, it's, all, it's always fun, um, especially with this like-minded creatures brand. I guess you could say now. Um, uh, it sort of started out as just a good excuse for the three of us to get together, and and um, this was back in uh, 2012. I think we did our first one in in my venue in Singapore. Um, and then it was just sort of uh, once we got together and. Um, it was really well re- well received and, and everyone was like, oh, when are you going to do the next one? And so we were like, oh, okay, maybe we've got something uh, something uh, with this. So, um, yeah, this is the seventh one that we've done. And, um, yeah, it's, it's always good fun meeting up with those guys. Like, I mean, they're two of my best mates in the industry, but um, they also happen to be very influential figures in the drink space. So it's great to see um, what, each each individual person is doing with their own venues and concepts, especially Alex, because I hadn't had the chance to go over and and, and see what he's doing in London. So yeah, Taya and Elementary. Um, for those of you um, who don't know Alex Cretenia, um, that's his venue in London. Um, it's a very progressive space. Um, elementary being like the more, um, I guess, approachable uh, concept within the venue. And then there's also Taya, which is, I guess, the more progressive experimental space. Um, and, yeah, just to see what he was doing and, and again, with London sort of firing on all the cylinders, it was really encouraging. And, um, yeah, it was awesome to see, but also a lot of fun at the same time. What does it mean for a space to be, yeah, progressive in that way? Like what does that yeah, what what kinds of things would we experience if we went there? Um, well, I guess um, it's funny, like, uh, on the topic of, uh, well, the brand that we've sort of banded together with uh, is the name of it is Light-Minded Creatures for the reason that the three of us, although a lot of the times we're doing very different things, there are some very like-minded um, synergies. Um, and I guess the biggest thing... Um, that's probably on that progressive side that I guess we both do me, me with Birdie and, um, and Alex or Taya and also Matt, um, at Ree in Sydney is, I guess the focus is, isn't necessarily the alcohol a lot of the time. Um, it, it might be a focus more on the produce side of things or, um, a focus on you know what what's in season and and that sort of thing, rather than it being like a specific uh, template for a drink. Like it doesn't have to be a whiskey sour or a martini. It's just its own thing that revolves around this one particular ingredient. So I guess even though it's quite a I guess a simple idea, it's it's quite uh, I guess probably seen as probably a little bit more avant garde approach 
to drink making, um, especially with cocktails because um, a lot of the time they sort of follow suit of these sort of classic templates that are, you know, uh, they've stood the test of time for a reason, you know, and there's classic cocktails uh, are great in their own right. But, um, you know, I think the world would be a pretty dull place if we were basically stuck drinking the same drinks for thousands of years. So it's cool. Um, I always enjoy when people sort of take a different approach. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's probably the, the most progressive side of it in terms of Teo is um, sort of focusing um, a little bit more on the seasonal aspect. Um, and also, like, they've got, just in terms of the space, um, it's probably a little bit more in a restaurant format in, in terms of, like, a you sit down and it's a little bit more like a tasting menu. So you sit down and the, the drinks sort of come out in um, – set courses I guess um, rather than you just sit down and you ask the bartender to make something with gin or, or, or whatnot so um, yeah I guess that's probably the, the progressive nature of it. Mm. Oh, it sounds so good um, you know checks flights to London sounds great but I know I can get great experiences um, you know yeah modern drink experiences in Australia as well and we, we did recently have Matt Wiley on the podcast talking about re and obviously you know people who've listened to that or been there will know that a lot of his drinks are I guess not only produce focused but waste produce focused and there's that whole emphasis on rescuing or repurposing ingredients which I think is so exciting and yeah and necessary as we think about reducing food waste and making the most of, of produce. Um, but, Luke, I'd love you to just give us a bit of a rundown on Birdie for people who haven't experienced it. It's, it's in a shopping centre in, in the city of Melbourne. Um, tell, us, tell us about it. Like, what's your sort of project there? Yeah, so Birdie, I guess, um, looking back on it, it's probably the culmination of everything my partner Aki and I have sort of learnt and been exposed to over the, probably the better part of the last 20 years. Um, Aki was basically born into the hospitality industry. Um, her parents um, own a sushi restaurant here in Melbourne that's been open the majority of her lifetime. Um, and uh, so she's, she's sort of uh, – got a whole wealth of, of knowledge and experience to, to draw upon. Uh, and then myself sort of working in bars and restaurants over the years. And then uh, since we've been together in, in terms of uh, uh, our travels as well, like operating a bar in Singapore for the better part of five years, traveling over to South Africa, opening a venue in there. And it was actually my during my time or our time working in, in Singapore, and then having the opportunity to go to South Africa, uh, I kind of realized what I was missing. Um, I kind of for a little while was feeling a bit stale with what, what I was doing in Singapore, even though the, the venue was hugely successful and it was doing really well and everyone was, you know, kept telling me how much they loved it and how amazing it was. I felt like there was something missing. Uh, and then when I went to Cape Town, all of a sudden I was exposed to seasonality and, and local produce again. Um, and I, I just kind of felt so refreshed and and I had this sort of moment where I was like, why am I all the way over in Cape Town doing this? I can do this in Melbourne. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, it was quite ironic that it took me it, – it, it, I had to re- go all the way to South Africa to realise that. Um, 
and so that's I guess when the the idea was sort of the seed was sort of planted, um, and yeah, we wanted to come back to Melbourne first and foremost, or come back to Australia first and foremost to raise a family. Um, but it was also to, to open Birdie. So uh, the concept of Birdie was quite a simple one, really. It's just basically using local produce, uh, but that extends to everything we use. So majority of the materials we've used to open the bar um, coming from Australia. Uh, even our coffee uh, is grown for us in Byron Bay. We bring it down and roast it here in Melbourne. Uh, and then all across to the, all the produce we use, all the spirits we use, um, everything's Australian. Um, so I guess the aim of, of Birdie is what we want to do is create a uniquely Australian and, and Melbourne experience. Um, I've been lucky enough to travel the world um, with my career and – you know, when you go to the other side of the world and someone makes you an agroni, it kind of, uh, I don't know, I feel like there's something missing and there's, I feel like there's a missed opportunity there to tell a story. Um, and, and Australia particularly being so far away from the rest of the world geographically but also really far away from the rest of the world in terms of the uniqueness of like all the ingredients that we have down here and the access to those ingredients and the access to so many varying climate conditions as well. Like, um, you know, compared to a country like, say, the UK, um, at any given point, we've got so many different climate regions that we can source amazing produce from. Um, so, yeah, I felt like it was uh, we wanted to, yeah, create a uniquely Melbourne experience. And, and uh, when we came and, and sort of had the opportunity to open up in Melbourne Central, it was, it was kind of ironic, like, um, it was loosely sort of familiar to, to us being obviously Aki's got the Japanese background, um, but then spending our time in Singapore, the idea of a, a high-level food and drink offering within a shopping center or a subway or something like that is very common in, in Asia, but it's not very common at all in, in Melbourne. Um, and we saw it as like a really unique opportunity to – create a different experience in Melbourne, which is quite hard to quite hard to, to come across these days, like the opportunity to create like a, a, a different experience to what's there. Um, there's an, we've got an amazing bar culture in, in Melbourne, but the, you know, the little hidden laneway bar and, and that sort of thing, I felt was, was a bit done. Um, whereas this um, hadn't really been done before and it's quite, quite different for Australia. So yeah, we, we jumped on this space Um and here we are, um, yeah, still still standing after a pandemic. So we'll uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's certainly been an incredibly challenging time to to launch and try to bed down. But it is really different. I mean, the, one of the things that I find really striking about it is, it, yes, it's in that shopping centre location, but it is, I suppose, in a in a precinct of Melbourne Central that is focused on food, drink, and I suppose you know premium or semi-premium experiences but yeah like you say you know that it's definitely doesn't have that hidden away laneway feel um 
it's really open like the it's yeah it's open like almost like a a shop entrance isn't it you don't but then once you get into the space there are these sort of curves and nooks and you can I guess tuck yourself away a little bit but it, it yeah it is really an interesting dynamic that you create with the space also the fact that on one side you've got your little lab area and then that's got a window out onto the usually supposedly hopefully one day busy street you know just a thoroughfare so it's got this sort of yeah, like a, a window shopping or sneak peek kind of element as well. It's, yeah, it is a really interesting space. I think quite, it is it is unique as far as I can't think of anywhere else like it in Australia. Yeah. It's, um, and I mean, that's even you bring up like the, the lab, uh, we call it the Avery, um, that, that little space that faces onto uh, one of the main streets in Melbourne. Um, that space we haven't even really activated yet. Um, in the coming weeks, we're, we're about to activate that with like a, a separate concept um, that's sort of separate to the main bar um, experience. So, uh, which is exciting, you know, to know that it, it's quite strange. We're coming up for, you know, almost, we're about, we're almost three years old, but uh, <laughs> we've, in, in terms of actual time that we've been open uh, because of the pandemic, we've only sort of operated for about 12 months. Um, and, and, and that's been sort of on and off, on and off as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it feels very strange. It's definitely, I hope I never have to open something and have to deal with something like that ever again. Um, yeah, it was such a unique thing to go through. Um, when I say unique, I, I don't mean I was the only one to go through it. Everyone went through uh, very similar things. But um, it was definitely new for me, I you know, especially opening concepts and venues all around the world and in different continents and whatnot, I kind of felt like I could pretty much um, deal with any challenge thrown my way. But, yeah, this was definitely a curveball I didn't see coming. And, um, yeah, it's definitely the biggest challenge I've ever faced. And um, But, yeah, you know, like I said, we're just happy to be on the other side of it and, we're sort of just feeling now like we're sort of getting back to where we left off, um, which is at the end of the day, like quite an exciting uh, feeling. Wow. I mean, I feel like we've really got a handle on the the concept of Birdie, but I don't think we've heard enough about the actual drinks. So can you just describe a drink that really speaks to what you do? Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, like I said, like it's um, focusing on, Australian produce um, and, and using Australian spirits, but really centering around working with uh, local producers and having a connection with that and, and sort of um, really leaning on the the concept of, of a community. Um, it was something that I really missed being in Singapore, um, the idea of local agriculture and whatnot. Um it was pretty much non-existent uh, in Singapore, which is uh, quite amazing to think about when you, you know, you think about Singapore and you think about it, this, it being this hot food destination, but not a lot of it and pretty much none of it is, is actually coming from there. So, uh, yeah, what we want to do with the drinks specifically is, is sort of lean on that community and, and, um, showcase and put the spotlight on these local producers, um, and showcase, uh, seasonality. Um, so I guess one drink that we've got on the menu, um, which this is our last week of our autumn menu. Um, but one of the drinks we've got is called now and then. Um, so the idea with this is kind of a fun one. It's something from, uh, 
that's in season now and something from a season's past. So um, this particular drink at the moment is uh, what's in, in season uh, through autumn is a golden beetroot that we're getting from uh, Remy's Patch, uh, which is a lo- local farm uh, about an hour and a half out of the city. Uh, and then also the then part of it is uh, using a vermouth that's made uh, by a friend of ours, Dave Verhill, up at Embla, um, made from last summer's flowers. Um, so uh, it's kind of loosely having a yeah a bit of fun with the, that concept of seasonality. So a lot of people sort of think, okay, what's a seasonal drink? Then that has to be you know something that's in season now. But what we're doing is sort of tweaking that a little bit and using some preservation methods and, and whatnot um, to preserve something um, from a season's past. And that's actually going to be uh, quite a, a strong theme in the new concept that we're going to do in the Avery. So we're working on the idea of sort of like a, a reserve um, uh, range of some of some of our drinks, so drinks that we've preserved and and made from uh, even like the first year that we opened. So some of them were like will be like three years old. Um, so yeah, that's I guess that's a, a really good example at the moment of of one of the drinks. Um, and yeah, but apart from that, like at the moment we're we're launching our winter menu soon um having a, a lot of fun working with like locally grown yuzu um so that's another a good one um that is uh really speaks to, to what we want to do at birdie it's like using local produce but you know sometimes it's not necessarily things that you might associate directly with australia so the yuzu is a great example of that um you know we've got these amazing yuzu that um is grown here in victoria um, it's obviously more commonly associated with Japan, um, but we've got this uh, amazing produce here. And the, the window of, the, of that season is, is very short, so we just want to focus on showcasing that while it's in season. Love it. So cool. I mean, I think a lot of the times when you have a cocktail, it is connecting to something historical, whether it's, you know, the origins of the cocktail or the, or the spirit or, you know, whatever it is. But I think making it really, I guess, hyper-local and, yeah, having this story behind it, it's, um, yeah, so it makes it such a resonant experience. And I suppose also there'll always be something new to come back for, won't there? Totally, yeah. Um, yeah, we rotate the menu every three months. Uh, and then even within that uh, the, that sort of seasonal change, there are these sort of micro changes. Like, for example, when, uh, when it's truffle season, um, we've got <clears throat> some, some things that we do with truffle and we, we've got a drink that we're actually bringing back from last winter um, that we're using uh, fresh uh, Victorian black truffles. Um, but as soon as basically that drink is on, for only a very short window of time. And then once it's done, it's done. And we won't bring that back until the following year. So it's, it's actually, I, I really enjoy seeing the guests reaction to that. No, it's seeing that, uh, you know, actually this isn't available all year round and, and it creates that sort of, um, it, it makes it special again. You know, I think we're so used to having everything all the time, um, all of a sudden when you're told you can't have it, you almost want it a little bit more. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're pretty spoiled the, these days with, with a lot of things, but um, especially in Australia, to be honest. Um, but to sort of, I guess, 
I don't want to say educate people because it sounds very uh, pompous, but to sort of um, demonstrate to people um, that, you know, there is, there are these seasonal things, uh, you know, in terms of what we eat and drink and it's not necessarily available locally all the time. And it's really cool, especially I think one of the biggest uh, happy side effects that come out of the pandemic is a lot of people are wanting to support local a lot more. Um, so if they've got the option between, you know, something that's grown locally and that's supporting a local uh, farmer and, and goes, they can see their money directly going back into the community, I think nine times out of ten these days they're going to they're going to go with that option rather than the imported um, option. So, um, yeah, it's quite it's kind of uh, I guess uh, played into our concept and what we want to achieve um, with Birdie in, in terms of uh, what we've been through the last couple of years. Um, but, yeah, it's always interesting to see people's reactions to, to what you're doing. Luke, you mentioned that you wanted to come back to Australia to start a family. I'm just wondering, mm. like, how does bar culture, running a, a bar that's open late at night and family life um, work together? Yeah, it doesn't really. <laughs> it's pretty tough, um, especially when I've got, yeah, we've got a four-year-old at home that is uh, – so demanding of your time and energy and you know to be honest like i want to spend every waking minute with him with him he's um yeah it's just an absolute joy but um yeah so it's a bit of a balancing act to be honest um you know it's we've we've shifted in terms of aki and i we, we've shifted um a little bit in 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 terms of what we used to do so now aki's uh um she's She's just left, actually. She's literally just waved goodbye through the window before. But um, she will come in with me Tuesday morning um, and she does the admin book, book, book work side of things. And then we have an, uh, a space in the day where we'll work on new menu development and, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and, then, and then she'll go home and she, she's at home with him um, Yeah, uh, through the week. Um, I'm still doing nights. Um, but there is the plan of, of me shifting uh, uh, my time a little bit, my schedule, so I'm not doing nights exactly five days a week. You know, I might do, a, a, you know, say weekends still, um, but, you know, be able to come in during the day and, and still be able to be at home sort of and have a relatively uh, uh, normal sort of uh, life. But... Um, for obvious reasons, but being a pandemic and that sort of thing, it's uh, we've just been all hands on deck. And um, as owners, operators, we've had to plug the gaps wherever we need to be. Um, and staffing has been the biggest issue, um, I think, across the board in not just Melbourne, but it seems like Australia. Um, so, yeah, I think there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so it was actually during the pandemic uh, going into lockdown and stuff, to be honest, trying to find silver linings, it was actually, I looked at it as a blessing in disguise. There was the better part of two years where I actually got to spend a lot of time um, with my son. So, um, yeah, I think it's always going to be a very transient thing. Like we're always going to be evolving to the situation. And I think that's just the um, the nature of being a parent. You're just going to try your best. There's no rule book. Um, no one tells you, you know, what to do really. And, uh, every family is different. So, um, yeah, we do our best. It's a juggling act and act and it's, it's hard sometimes, but yeah, I think we're doing all right. 
Mm. It's, I mean, it's not just people that work in bars. I think anyone in hospitality or indeed any kind of, you know, shift work industries, it's, it's a challenge. But I guess a lot of people had that, that, that experience, you know, that you um, talk about where you did get to spend more time um, at home with, with the young ones. And yeah, it can be quite, I guess, illuminating and really, uh, you know, made a lot of people want to make those changes or, or I guess carve out that time, make sure that they were, they were protective of the life that's outside work as well. Yeah, totally. And like, I think it's like, no matter what industry you're in, um, you just sort of, I guess you've just got to adapt. Um, like I've always, I think I'm probably, um, the, the classic eternal optimist and I'm always looking for the positives in the scenario. Um, I'm quite often sort of looking at, you know, thinking, you know, it's very easy for me to be like, Oh, I'm not at home for, you know, dinner time and that sort of thing. And that normal sort of, uh, what, what, what people in say more of a nine to five situation would consider normal dinner time. Um, but at the same time, I'm there most mornings, um, uh, with him. Uh, and then, you know, I, I've got a different weekend. I've got Sunday Mondays, uh, that I usually have off with him. And so I still get a full weekend. So I think you just got to find out what works for you. Um, I think when you, uh, if you're trying to conform to that, you know, what's considered normal, um, then yeah, you're probably going to struggle working in, in different industries with different uh, shift work and, and whatnot. So, but if you just sort of take it and, and adapt it to what works for you, then, then, you know, I think it's, there's no, there's no right and wrong way. You just got to make sure it, it works for you and, and your individual circumstance. Mm, so well said. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of changes and adaptations necessary over the past couple of years and I know technology has been a big part of that for a lot of businesses is there anything that you've done in terms of using technology that's helped you navigate these waters um I think definitely like uh on a day-to-day basis like even little things like I used to spend a lot of time um uh, you know, even if I go back like 10 years, so you spend a lot of time at the end of the shift, you know, doing cash up and doing till reads and all that sort of thing. Nowadays, it's pretty straightforward. Like we've got, um, uh, we use square pause, um, and that's all like really, uh, user friendly. All your till reads is, are there and it's all online. And, um, uh, I can basically, just you know get my phone out and i can i can see you know what we've you know what we've made tonight what uh, what we've made tonight compared to last month or last year and you know all of that sort of stuff on the accounting side of things is so much easier um so that actually frees up my time to you know be be you know with my family instead of having my head in, in, in paperwork and, and books and, and spreadsheets and that sort of thing. Um, but also I, I guess on a, uh, on a service as- aspect, like we use technology a lot in, in sort of the drinks we're making, um, different things like we're distilling and, uh, fermenting and, you know, using like techniques like sous vide and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, that are more probably akin to kitchens, but we're using it to speed up our service and speed up our prep time. And so we're not spending hours and hours a day um, prepping for service. So we can do a lot of things in advance. Um, 
particularly with like the distilling side of things. Uh, we use a piece of equipment called a rotary evaporator, which enables us to distill things at low temperatures and uh, and preserve them um, so we can use them sort of for the whole season. So what we'll do uh, now is at the start of the season, we'll get a whole heap of this produce in. Uh, we're doing it currently with the with the yuzu. So we, we get a whole heap of the yuzu in whilst it's in season and we'll go about um, basically dissecting that into different uh, things. So we might uh, separate the juice, the rind, the pith, um, we'll distill the rind, we'll, um, you know, clarify the juice and then that is then preserved so that we can use it all, all through the season and in some cases even use uh, uh, years later. Um, so, yeah, that wouldn't be possible um, uh, without that technology. So that's, that's, that's a big one for us. And when with something like that, um, is it sort of they just become part of your pantry? It's not that you've got a particular use in mind for all those different things that you're creating. They're just like part of your uh, the, the arsenal that you could bring into play down the track. Yeah, sometimes. Um, I mean, quite often uh, we we work with a pretty condensed menu. So every <clears throat> seasonal menu is like six drinks. Um, so those six drinks are, are pretty well planned and, and, and uh, mapped out ahead of time. So like, for example, with this um, yuzu drink, we're distilling the yuzu with that one application in mind. But sort of focusing on, you know, going back to the, you know, minimizing waste and that sort of thing. If we were just focusing on that drink for this menu, then, you know, say like we're just distilling, uh, we're actually just distilling the rind for that particular drink. And so then the actual juice would, would go to waste. Um, so what we're doing is clarifying that juice and preserving it um, for use later. Like, yeah, like you said, we don't exactly have a use for that uh, now. I've uh, got a few ideas, but yeah, that's then stored, frozen or, or whatnot. Um, and then we can sort of pull that out at, at a later date. So yeah, um, we kind of, you know, uh, through the, through the sort of the, the idea of minimizing our waste and, and um, in, in the aim of, of, um, uh, not just being more sustainable, but just sort of honouring the the produce and, and really making sure we're making full use of it. Um, yeah, then we've got these sort of reserves that we can call upon uh, later. Yeah, well, I think especially with yuzu, I remember it's not that many years ago that there was no local yuzu. So the fact that not only is there some, but you're able to do all these different uh, creative things with it, it's very exciting. And I'm definitely like at Birdie having one of these drinks in the next few weeks. Um, thank you so much, Luke, for yeah sharing your story um, and your approach to this yeah really exciting bar space with us today on Dirty Linen. It's yeah really fantastic to catch up with you. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It was great. This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is...